Romans 15, if you will. We're going to jump in here uh, where we've uh, been and uh, probably just get one or two verses. And then uh, for really just the clarity of trying not to uh, run through this information, but yet understand why Paul, as he's closing the book here, then he goes and presents his ministry in contrast to the ministry of the, uh, uh, of, of the Lord, of the, er the earthly ministry of Christ. Verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of, the of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Eliacrim, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And again, we're not, I don't want to run through this information. Uh, it, it should be, it's, this information should be second nature to us. But at the same time, understanding, so we're going to take our time here, if you will, a little bit this week, next week especially, to understand why Paul, again, as he's closing this wonderful book of Romans, this foundational book, it's, it's not the first book he wrote, but it sits first in his epistles because of the edification process and what Romans lays in for the new believer. I had a guy one time tell me, if you're a new believer, you ought to read the Gospel of John. And I said, why? Oh, it's such a wonderful book. And I said, yeah, but three-quarters of it's written to the 12 apostles in the upper room. I'm not 12 apostle. I'm not, you know, well, it's just so... No, a new believer ought to read Romans, because Romans lays in that foundation that then you need for the rest. So as he's doing this, contrasting his ministry and message to that of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's critical to understand that. If you go back up to verse 8, Paul says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. So the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ was, it, it, he was the minister of the circumcision. He came, why, well, we have already seen in the study in Romans, Romans 9, why did he come? He came for Israel. He came to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And again, the fathers there, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you hold on here and look over with me real quick at Ephesians 2. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11 and 12. It, it, the, 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 he says, Paul says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you. Boldly, not in that he's taking a big stand, digging his heels in, but rather the, the terminology here, the language that Paul's going to use is, are, is a very bold statement. If you look at 2.11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, that draws your mind back to Genesis 17, where he institutes the sign of circumcision as the sign of the covenant of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, hey, if you're on this side, you're cut off, and if you're on this side, you're in. And that middle wall of partition went up between man. In, in Genesis 17, there is no Jew yet. It's dividing up the Gentile. Abraham's my guy. You're going to be in my family, you're going to be on my side of the equation, you're, you're going to get circumcised. So there's a division there. By the way, God made the division. Verse 12, that at that time, so in time past, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and having no hope and without God in the world. That, so when you come back to Romans 15, that's 
that is what Israel, that's the condition of the Jew, of the Gentile, sorry, in time past. But yet in Romans 15, what has Paul just said in verse 9, 10, 11, and 12? That listen, the Gentile, the issue of the prophetic scripture has just simply been interrupted. They haven't been fulfilled. If, if you look in Romans 15, if you look in verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Again, he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles, but notice, with his people. So it's not the Gentile. So Paul here, he's already demonstrated that the prophetic program has been temporarily interrupted, suspended. And also, one day it will be fulfilled out, verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and fault there. And he's demonstrating that God hasn't been, he, he hasn't, the prophetic, the prophecy, the prophetic scriptures up to Calvary, all right? So up to Acts 9, let's call it that, have been fulfilled, taken care of. The stuff that he's going to talk about for the future we're in Mark 13 on Wednesday night, and we're getting into a bunch of future stuff that the Lord's getting that little flock and the 12 ready to go through. They're not there yet. All of that's been interrupted, yet what he interrupted, he's what? He will one day fulfill. So for us, we see, look at what, he's, what, what did God do? Look at what he did, and we can trust his word that what, he did, what he's going to do in the future for the Gentiles He's going to do what he says he's going to do for the body of Christ. Okay? So when Paul gets into this, in this contrast here, everything that the Word says is going to happen will happen. It's just now it's been interrupted, prophetic scripture. When we're done, when the dispensation of grace is over and the church is raptured out, then he's going to go right back in there, and guess what's going to happen? It's all going to get fulfilled out. So don't worry. And that's why if we fail to rightly divide the word of truth, we can make a grave error here of assuming that we, that what we are experiencing today, the way that God's relating to the world today, interacting with the world today, is according to prophecy when it's not, okay? And so Paul is drawing a contrast here. And, he's, and, and in that contrast, he's demonstrating that the prophetic program will be fulfilled, but right now we're living in a parenthesis, in an interruption. On the VCR button, God, on the VCR, God's hit the pause button on Israel's program. And we've looked through that, and that's why you have chapters 9, 10, and 11 in the book of Romans, in the foundation, so that you don't think you're Israel. You're not spiritual Israel. You're the body of Christ. Israel is over here. They got there, and he's doing this over here. And what Paul is doing here is he's laying out, the, he's highlighting, he's just hitting the, the top notes here. Again, there's... Uh, up until this point, he has not gone through any detail of his apostleship. He's made reference to it, his unique apostleship. And now he's getting into it. And he's going to come in now and he's going to give us details about his unique apostleship, message, and ministry, and what God's doing. So when people say, oh, Paul's just a big egotistical guy, no, he's not at all. Because, look at verse 17. I have therefore whereof I may glory. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. I can, he, you know, I, I can smack, I, I'm not glorying here in myself. I'm going to glory in those things which pertain to God. And that's a tremendous thing here because sometimes, you know, we get yelled at for, you guys just worship Paul. No, it's not worshiping the man. The man's just a man. But we're holding the a position, that apostleship, the message, the ministry. It, 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 come over to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye've heard of the dispensation of, great, of, of the grace of God 
which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. See how clear, that is so clear. You've got to have an agenda not to see how clear that says that. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now you think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ talks directly to Paul. Paul, in verse 3, as I wrote a four and a few words, writes it down. The Holy Spirit picks up the written word and then reveals the truth to everybody else. That's what he's doing, see. So when you, by the way, verse 6, that, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So when you come back into Romans 15 here, Paul is drawing a, 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 a huge contrast here. Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, he was a minister of the circumcision. And he was sent for Israel and to take care of Israel's prophetic program. He then interrupted it, and now he's given ministry and a message to me that's now going to go to a group of people that over here you weren't, he wasn't going to. Matthew 10 is clear when the Lord commissions the 12 apostles that they are not to go to the Gentiles. Again, I know folks that have struggled with that, but that's clear because it's on the page clear. There's no ambiguity. There's no, well, maybe this. No, he says, don't you go there. Why? Because Israel is the conduit for the blessings in the prophetic scripture going out to the families of the earth, Genesis 12. Paul said, that's over there, over here. But God, he's using me here. So in so back to Romans 15, let, let's dive into verse 16 here. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Real quick, come over to chapter 16. Look at verse 25. Because I know what gets hurled at us. You guys don't preach Jesus Christ, you're preaching Paul. 16.25 says that when they hurl that at you, they're wrong. What does he say? Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. That's a dispensational pronouncement there. The gospel message given to the apostle Paul. And the preaching of Jesus Christ. So we do preach Christ. How though? According to. How do we preach Christ? Not in his earthly ministry, but according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And, and on you go. So when we get into this, go back to 15, 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, he's going to be preaching Christ, but according to that heavenly, the mystery, the revelation of the mystery, the heavenly program. In the Gospels, there is a preaching of Christ, but as who? Israel's Messiah. Israel's coming king. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 2 is clear. Peter looks at them and says, By wicked hands you crucify. The cross is not a good thing in Israel's history. Why? Because you killed the Messiah. You killed the Lord. Right? And he's going to come back, and God the Father is going to make him Lord and Christ. He's coming back to clean the clock. And you guys deserve it. Paul, on the other hand, says, you know where I glory? Galatians 6, I glory in the cross. It's a wonderful thing. See, So when we get into this, again, I know it gets hurled at us, and you just, but the verses are clear. I, they say it, verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Now, stop there, because the gospel of God throws everybody in a hissy fit, okay? Oh, the gospel of God. Well, just relax a minute, and let's think about this, because you've got to be careful here with this. The gospel of God doesn't always mean the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the uncircumcision. Those are different systems of revealed information and truth and, and meth going out. The gospel of God, gospel, Godspeed, 
good news. What is the good news of God? See that? So now that's a what? That's a big term, isn't it? It's an umbrella term, literally, where you can put different revealed messages and truth underneath it. So if you think about the gospel of God, so what's the good news? What's God's news here that Paul is talking about? Well, the preaching of who? Jesus Christ. But according to some news, some mystery truth, hidden information, the information that's now being revealed to the Apostle Paul, and then revealed out there to the uncircumcision. So the gospel of Christ and the gospel of grace and the gospel of the uncircumcision, all, by the way, all of those have very special and, and specific details associated with this umbrella term. So don't think one's in the other. One, the gospel of God is an umbrella term. We'll see it here in a minute back in chapter 1. It's not, it's not very precise because, by the way, Israel's program, there's what? The gospel of God. Well, no, that's underneath that umbrella term. What do we have? We have the gospel of the kingdom. We have different messages. Noah, build the boat. That's the, God, that's the good news. Paul, in, in, in Galatians over there, Paul says that, uh, oh, it's in chapter 3, I believe. Yeah, chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all nations be blessed. Isn't that interesting? What was the gospel back there to Abraham? Wasn't Christ died on the cross for your sins? It was what? And you, all the nations of the, of the earth, are going to be blessed. See, so you can't just, you know, it's like that word salvation. You can't knee-jerk to salvation unto eternal life because it's not always the same there. In Mark 13, when we get down in there, he's going to say, those that endure to the end shall be saved. The context tells you what he's talking about. By the way, that is a physical salvation out of turmoil and trouble of the tribulation into a physical kingdom. It's nothing about justification, spirit. It's a physical thing there. So, you got, again, you got to, context wins the day. Come back to Romans 15. So the, the gospel of God here, God has some good news, and the context is going to tell us what the good news that God has is. So what is the good news? 15, 16. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Ain't that interesting? See how the verse, by the way, you just keep reading, you know, and, and the book will tell you what he's talking about. So what's the gospel of God? That the offering up of the Gentiles might be what? That the Gentiles will be acceptable, see? And again, verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly. That takes a degree of boldness to come on the scene in, in historically where Paul is in Romans, which is in Acts 20. If you think, of, remember what's going on in the book of Acts during the ministry of Paul in that transition time where Israel has fallen, Acts 7, and now they're diminishing away, and there's less and less about Israel and more and more about Paul and his message and his provoking ministry, Romans 11, 11 there, and, what, and that's really what Acts, his Acts ministry is, is a provoking ministry. That's why he does what he does. But just notice, he's <laughs> the Apostle Paul, obviously writing by the Holy Spirit, he's very mindful of the attack of the adversary that's coming. In chapter 16, we'll get into it in verse 17 and 18 there. And the tactics that are the adversary is going to use, he's going to use good words and fair speeches to deceive the hearts of the simple. Here's the tactics that he's going to use to move away the believer from the Apostle Paul. And Paul understands that. So Paul says, verse 15, 17, I'm talking about the things that pertain to God. 
What's the Oh, Paul is, Paul should not have been the 13th apostle. He should have been the 12th apostle. And Peter was wrong in choosing Matthias. You know what, you know, when you hear somebody, that means they did not read Acts 1. Because Peter didn't pick him. The Holy Spirit picked him. Ooh. It's interesting. How many, how many animals did Noah put on the ark? None. God put them on. Verse says God put them. By the way, everybody goes two by two. Do you know he didn't? It, there was way more than that on there. Seven of all the unclean, all the clean animals. I mean, there, you know. And you go clean animals. How did Noah know about the clean animals? We don't have the messianic law yet. Or, I'm sorry, the mosaic law yet. Well, that's because the law of God is righteous. Period. And and the Lord had been teaching His law all along. The Mosaic Law comes in and adds that if-then clause to, to it all. See, see reading was well, wonderful. Helps. It's very eye-opening. It really is. I, I, I was listening to a... Uh, you guys know who R.C. Sproul was? He's passed away now. He's a big Calvinist guy, predator, and all that. So I was listening to him, and he was... I, somebody had sent a clip to me and said, Hey, listen to this, you know. So I said, well, I need to hear the whole of it, not just the clip, so I get the context. And, I, and that poor guy couldn't read a verse if it was in front of him in this message. I know he can, but he wasn't. He was reading the theology book. See, I don't know, Romans 15, look at verse 16. This is going to take a degree of boldness here. Because Paul, again, verse 17, he's preaching the things which pertain to God, the way that God grabs the attention of the church today is by holding up that neon sign called the Apostle Paul and look at what I'm doing in him and with him. Because everybody else wants to go where? Back. They're either taking you back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or they're moving you over into the book of the Revelation. They're in either two camps in the church today at large. God's holding up the sign going, I'm not there, I'm right here with Paul. You know, that boop, Paul, Paul, instead of an open, Paul, 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 Paul. He's what? He's grabbing their attention. Look at what, th think about what he just, what he's doing with this guy. Come over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I, I think about what he's doing with this guy, Paul, and the, the attention that he's taking. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. By the way, did it ignorantly in unbelief, not and in unbelief. His unbelief is what got him in trouble. And the grace of our Lord Jesus of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and the love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What is he? He's the leader. He's not number 1, he's not the worst. Actually, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's a Hebrew of the ben, tribe of Benjamin, Philippians 3. He would, he, he would never steal anything from you. He would actually, you know, if you left stuff in a mess, he'd straighten it up for you and put it in order. But he's the chief. What's he doing? He's leading the rebellion. But you see that thing there in verse 13, a blasphemer and a persecutor? I think about that. Because what does Matthew 12 say? Go back there to Matthew 12. I debated on looking at this, but again, the importance of where we're at in Romans. Look at Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, the Lord speaking here, all manner of sin and blasphemy, blasphemy, speak evil against, okay, shall be forgiven unto men, but the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, 
it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Now watch, neither in this world, so in the moment, neither where? In the world to come. So if you're Saul of Tarsus, come over to Acts 8. Think about Saul of Tarsus. He's, his middle name was Paul, Saul Paul. Okay. By the way, how you know that is in Acts 13, when his name changes, it doesn't say, and he changed his name. He says, who then Saul, who also is called Paul. That's how you know that's a secondary name. Could have been his first name, Paul Saul or Saul Paul. But it's not a change of a name, and it is in Scripture who we're going to go. Look at Acts 8. Actually, if you look back at chapter 7 just quickly, you have, uh, well, chapter 6, verse 5. And the, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of who? So Stephen in Acts 7, when he stands before the Sanhedrin there, he's full of what? He's full of the Holy Ghost. Now Israel, they killed John the Baptist, the picture of them killing the father. The fathers who sent John the Baptist, they killed John the Baptist. Then they kill the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. And now they're going to stone Stephen, who is representing the Holy Ghost. What did Matthew 12 say? You mess with the Holy Ghost, there ain't no forgiveness for you, period, ever. It's kind of like that Mark of the Beast stuff in Revelation. You take that, you ain't getting in. Yeah, but he's a good guy. He disobeyed God's word. Acts 7, what did they do? They take Stephen out, verse 55, but he, that's Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, just in case you're wondering, okay, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. So the angelic realm, the angels, the armies of God are ready to come back in wrath and war. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Isaiah says when the Lord stands, it's to come back and judge his people. So what do they do? They take him out. And they stoned him, verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now look at 8.1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad uh, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You see that thing about Saul was consenting? Saul was standing there in an official position as a spokesman of the council, the chief priests, the elders. The, the, they sent Paul as their delegate to this. And, and they look across the, the street there and Saul does one of these. Thumbs up. Get him. Or is it down? Kill him. Down. Not up, down. So when he says, I was injurious and a blasphemer, he's got no hope here of ever seeing eternal life in, in the kingdom on the earth in Israel's program. So here you've got God holding up a neon sign now saying, look at what I did with this guy Paul. Who was what? He was a blasphemer. He should have died. He was, a, he was disqualified from ever seeing life eternal. And what does God do in chapter 9? Road to Damascus. Acts 26 gives us the details. You know what Paul is? When Paul says, when he's on the road there, I, I love the verse 4, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. By the way, first time he's ever said that is right there to Saul. He would always say, I am. This time he says what? 
I am Jesus. You know that when Paul asks that question, who are you? He's hoping he don't say Jesus. You know he's hoping, Bob, I'm Bob. Good to see you, Bob. Glad you're back. I didn't even think about Bob, but right? You know he's, I'm Henry. What do you, you know, he, no. Man, when he says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted, it's hard for thee. Ooh, and he trembling and astonished. See, trembling. What does he know? He knows Matthew 12. He knows the rules. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading lawyer, the leading theologian of the day. He understood the rules. Woo. And you know what God does? Now come back to Romans. Now we could go on and on and on, and I don't want to do that with that. Romans 15. God's holding up a sign here, folks, and he's saying, look, the things that pertain to God, he's holding up a sign. He says, look at what I'm doing with this guy, Paul. I rescued him. I rescued that blasphemer. I dis he was disqualified from eternal life under the prophetic program. So God puts on display his what? Go back there to 1 Timothy 1. He puts on his display his mercy, his grace. That's why Paul would say back there in Romans 15, because of the grace that is given to me of God. Not the, he's not talking about the method. He's talking about God's grace, because where should he have been? <laughs> Actually, if the Lord had not interrupted the prophetic program, all indications point that Saul of Tarsus would have been the Antichrist. That was the political rise that he was on, that pro trajectory. Doesn't mean he would have been, it just potentially could have been. 1 Timothy 1.16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. Isn't that interesting? That in me first. So who's the first one into the church, the body of Christ? Paul is. That Jesus, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul is God's neon sign saying, Look at what I'm doing today. Now, the only way that he can do Acts 9 is in Acts 7, Israel has what? Fallen. He's in a, they are ready. Remember back there in Acts 7? What did Stephen see? He sees the armies of God ready to come back in wrath and war. He sees the Lord standing on the prophetic scriptures. The next thing is wrath, war, judgment. And yet, what did he do? He interrupted that with long-suffering, mercy, grace, peace, different, pro different program. Interrupts that. By the way, in Acts 7, right above that, Stephen, by the word of the Holy Spirit and by the pen of Luke through the Holy Spirit, declares Israel uncircumcised. They are now considered to be heathen. That's why in Galatians 2, Paul will say, we gave the right hand of fellowship that I go to the heathen, that's unsaved Jew, unsaved Gentile, and Peter and the boys are going to who? The circumcision, which would be who? The little flock. I didn't say that. The Holy Ghost did through Stephen and through the pen of Luke. They're now done. Israel is done. Cooked. Yeah. He's doing something else now. So when you come back here to chapter 15, that I, verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Again, that big umbrella term here of the good news. What's the good news of God? That, the Gentiles. See that? That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. The offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. In time past, again, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, the Gentiles were not acceptable. They weren't usable. They are without God, without Christ, no hope, aliens from the commonwealth, strangers from the covenants of promise. They had no chance. And we're not going to run all the verses. Okay, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. 
No chance there. So historically, the, the, gen, the condition of the Gentile historically in the earthly ministry time past, so Genesis through John, time past, actually Acts 7, <laughs> okay, what was the, no Gentile, nothing. What was the characteristics back there? For a Gentile, all washed up. What? Without hope? Aliens? No, no hope or without God. Uh, you know what? I just butchered that, so let's go read it. <laughs> okay. With, wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having what? No hope. And without God in the world. So God didn't have an open, direct dealing with the Gentiles. How did he deal with the Gentiles in Old Testament times? Through who? Through Israel. You understand that. Come back there to, to, to Romans 15. However, what did Paul just tell us in Romans 15? That there was a Gentile hope verse 9, 10, 11, and 12. But the hope was with who? His people. So with Israel and her proper position, being the channel of blessings to all the families of the earth, Abrahamic covenant, the Gentile was going, there was hope for the Gentile, but not in a direct manner. Not in a manner of God speaking right to them. You remember Rahab, Joshua? How did she get blessed from not being a part of Jericho being torn down? By hiding two, two of Israel's spies and then claiming the Abrahamic covenant. She had heard 40 years earlier about the Exodus, understood who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, but also understood that she as a Gentile was outside looking in but understood that little door there of blessing Israel was available. And she took it by faith. She took it. See? And thus the come. See, the Gentile has to come to Israel by faith and go through the prescribed manner. So when we look at this, the Gentile hope is there. It's just in and through Israel. So the gospel of God, 1516 here, the good news is that God has deliberately set Israel aside so he can make the Gentiles acceptable now. Okay? You see that? In time past, they were only through Israel, but now there's only one mediator between man and God. Who? The man Christ Jesus. That wasn't the case in time past. They had to go through Israel. That's why that Samaritan woman at the well, when the Lord comes up there, and he, she does all that, and he puts her in her space, you've got to be there. But then you see that Samaritan in Acts 8 with Philip, and what's he looking? Hey, you guys, we're ready. We're ready to receive. But Israel isn't. There's nobody in Jerusalem but the 12. They've killed them. They've chased them all away. The Ethiopian in Acts 8. There's a reason why Philip can go down there and do that and, and baptize and do all that. Why? The Gentile picture, Ethiopian, the picture of the Gentile. They're ready to hear. But who's not ready? Jerusalem. There's, there, so... We got cuts here. The only way that God can have a direct dealing with the Gentiles is to change the dispensation, to change the program. 
So the gospel of God, the good news of God, is, is what Paul's preaching, that the Gentiles now are on board. And by the way, verse 16 is not about justification, okay? People use this verse, just i.e., just kind of FYI, as a universalist verse, that in the end, everybody is saved. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? He's talking about, it's, I, what does it mean for the Gentiles to be acceptable? In time past, they weren't. They were actually the object of wrath. In God's view, they were, prophetically, God's view of the Gentiles, they were vessels of wrath. I'm going to destroy them. And when I destroy them, my destruction of them is going to bring glory and honor and glorify me. He's going to nail them. But now, what is his viewpoint? It's different. It's changed. God's done away with that status. That's why every book of Paul's begins with that grace and peace salutation. That isn't shalom, hello, and Greek hello. That's just guys that don't know what they're talking about. That What is the official declaration of the attitude of the Godhead towards the world today? Grace and peace. Then in, Tim in Timothy and Titus and Philemon with the pastors, he throws that mercy in there because we need mercy. <laughs> and you need us to give you mercy, okay? But see, that's what's happening here. Come over to Acts 13. I mean, just notice the, the, the thought here. Because the gospel, the good news that God has done away with that status, they're no longer... We're no longer the objects of wrath and destruction, but now we're the objects of grace and peace and mercy and long-suffering. Acts 13. Watch Paul do this here. And, and again, Acts, is, a, Acts is, a, is that second transitional book in your New Testament scriptures, and you cannot base doctrine on this, because I'm about to shake it up for you, okay, on this book. Acts is not a historical account of the beginning of the church because it leaves out a ton of stuff. You want to know what, why Paul's doing what Paul's doing in Acts? Go read the books he wrote during the Acts period. He will tell you why he's doing it. Romans 11.11 is tremendously a great help of what he's doing. Why does he do what he does in Acts? Why? To provoke Israel to jealousy. It's clear. What Acts is, is Acts is a written indictment against the nation of Israel, not only did you crucify your Messiah, you rejected that little flock that's supposed to, that was designed to come and help you, and then when I changed the program, you killed, you tried to, you went after the guy who, who was holding back the wrath. You went after him too. And you know what you are? You're guilty, you're guilty, and you're guilty. Third, look at Acts 13, look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, there it is, and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first been spoken to you. And that's the Jews. There, he's been up in the synagogue. By the way, that's why in Acts, as, as his manner is, where did Paul always start? In the synagogue. Why? His job's to provoke, part of his ministry is provoking Israel to jealousy. What does he say? First spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's strike one. Chapter 18, there's strike two. He says, we're going to the Gentiles. Chapter 28, three strikes and you're out. The Gentiles were in it. We're on. But notice what he's doing here. Where are, they, where are we going now, guys? To the Gentiles, verse 47. For so, by the way, why are we now turning to the Gentiles, right? That would be the question. For lo, we turn to the Gentiles. How can you do that? Why are you doing that, Paul? Well, keep reading. For so hath the Lord, what? Commanded us. Isn't that interesting? We're not out here just, I think we'll go to the Gentiles today and make something up. No, the Lord told, hey, the Lord's commanded him. I have set, the, uh, set thee to be a light. Uh, of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this. Now, what did they hear? They heard Paul stand up and say, 
God is now coming to you apart from Israel. Why? Because Israel just judged themselves unworthy. They just nailed their own coffin shut. And now we're coming over here. When they heard that, what did the Gentiles do? Oh, I don't know, man, Paul. You better be, you better be careful. Those Jews are tough people, man. No, they were what? They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. It, look at that. God has ordained that the gospel unto eternal life now be preached to the Gentiles. And you know what they did? When they heard it, they believed it, they were glad, they glorified the Lord, and they said, would you come back next week and give us some more? And he goes, no problem, I'll be here. Okay? The Gentiles heard it. Now listen to me. That's the first time in Scripture where the Gentile heard the word of the Lord outside of the nation of Israel. Peter goes and talks to Cornelius, a Gentile who hears the word, but who's talking to him? Peter, leader of the flock, leader of the twelve. By the way, why is Peter talking to Cornelius? He doesn't want to, well, because who com the Lord commanded him to. I mean, he took three tugs at the sheet to get him to go, but he finally went. See, that's how strong these guys weren't going to the Gentiles. Paul says, hi, here I, let's go. And what do they? They enjoy it. They heard him. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's interesting. What did they hear? I mean, think about that. I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that they should be for salvation under the ends. What, did, what was Paul preaching to them? Well, in Acts 26, we see he's giving them his gospel, how that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, and that if you believe that, and that, and that alone, faith and faith alone in that, no works, no activities, no sacrifice bring in, none of that stuff, then you're going to have an inheritance, and, and, and you got a, you got forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. You read that in Acts 26 there when he lays out what he, his account of what was happening in that heavenly vision on the road to Damascus. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Here's the mechanics. Isn't that interesting? Reconciling. The word reconcile, it just simply means to restore the relationship. Prior to Paul, what was God's relationship with the world? I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to pour my wrath out on it. He changes the program, Romans 11, 15. He's doing something different now. Now the world can come right to him. Why? Because he's, he's fixed that relationship. Now watch the rest of that verse. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see that not imputed their trespasses unto them? You know how he can do that? Romans 5 verse 13 says, When there is no law, their sin is not imputed. What did Calvary do, Colossians say? It took the handwriting of an ordinances and nailed it to the cross. What, the, what did Calvary do? What does the message of grace teach us? What? We're not under the law. The law has been dealt with. It's been satisfied. It's been dead. That's why in Galatians 3, when he looks at them and says, why in the world did you raise something that I, you've been bewitched, the witch of Endor? Why did you raise what I declared to be dead? Why are you raising that back up to live under? Don't live under that law. It's dead. Calvary covered that, took care of that. That's how he cannot impute. Now, that doesn't let them off the hook. They're still what? Sinners. But that's how he can now interact. Why? Because he changed the program. By the way, if he was to impute trespasses under the world, what would he have to do to the world? Destroy it. He'd have to wipe it out. So today he's not imputing. He's not demanding a payment for their unbelief, for their rebellion. And that's the idea here. God's goodness to the world. Number one, I'm reconciled the world to myself. We can have one-on-one -on -one conversation now. We can deal with each other one-to-one. -one, and 
I have declared the Gentile acceptable, approachable, no longer the object of wrath and destruction, but now an object of mercy and peace and grace and long-suffering. And I'm going to use, by the way, I'm going to use that Gentile. Come over to Ephesians 2. I'm going to use that Gentile as a conduit now to manifest my glory. In time past, how did he use the Gentile to manifest his glory? He destroyed them, wiped them out. He tells Israel, he, he, they send those spies in. They come back, ten say no, two say yes. You remember that? He says, you go in there, Israel, and the world will see, the isles of the Gentiles will see my glory when I wipe them out using you in that promised land. He's not doing that today. What's he going to do? He's going to use you and I today to do what? Promote and to manifest his glory. We're to be used to reveal. Ephesians 2, look at verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Again, there's our condition in time past. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Man, that's who you are today in Christ. You and I clearly, you know what? We are two times dead. We're twice dead. Look back up at verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein you walked, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. You were dead. So you're dead once in your trespasses and sins. Verse 11 and 12, you were dead dispensationally. So your trespasses and sins disqualified you. And then in time past, your status as an uncircumcision Gentile disqualified you. And God says, I am now using the two-time dead Gentile to manifest my glory and be mine follow that that's fantastic the only way he can do that though is to interrupt that program and do something now through the apostle paul by the way 2 4 but god who is rich in his mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with christ for by grace ye are saved and so he does take care of our trespasses and sins. How? Calvary. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And he does fix our dispensational problem. So when you think about this, come back to Romans 15. Paul, again, that's wonderful news, folks. The good news of God, the uniqueness of Paul's apostleship is to put on display what God, the things pertaining to God. God says, this is what I'm doing today, verse 17. And I'm using Paul to do it. And here are the details that he's going to do now down in verse 18, 19, and 20. We'll get into all that next time. But look back at chapter 1 with me, just real quick. Because he does, Paul does make reference to his unique apostleship. He just doesn't provide the details till we get to chapter 15. And the reason for that is what's coming in chapter 16 and that attack against him in verse 17 and 18. Look at 1-1. Notice 1-1 carefully. Damn, is that really the time? Oh. Okay, well, we'll just do it. 1-1. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, 
Now notice that verse carefully. Because he was called and then separated. Two different things happened there. He was not separated to be an apostle. He was called to be an apostle. And then there's a comma. Then what? Separated. Why? Why would he have to be separated? Because in the time, historically, there were some other apostles still around, weren't there? Peter and the boys. I'm called to be an apostle, but I've been separated. I'm not a part of that. That's why the stuff in Galatians 1, he so defends that. I'm not there. I'm over here. Again, he was called, but then he was separated. He wasn't separated to be an apostle. The verse says, called to be an apostle, comma, separated unto the gospel. See that? So that, that's different. That's how he references all through. Now, when you come back to 15, 16, because I really want to get this verse done, <laughs> these two notice that the Gentiles might be, the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified. That word sanctified, sanctification, saint, it's the word holy, it's the word to be set apart. God can now take the Gentile, who now is the object of grace and mercy and peace and long-suffering, and He can set them apart to be usable. Prior to Acts 9, you ain't usable. After Acts 9 and the dispensation of grace, you are now usable by God. So our... And we're going to be usable in what? In the service of what God's doing today in the age of grace. Okay? So our useful service, our our past identity as two times dead Gentiles, (laughs) now we're what? Usable servants. Okay? And again, if you go back over there to Ephesians 3, in verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, you see that. Okay? Uh, Ephesians 3. You'll give me just a minute. Ephesians 3. Verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery. Verse 10, to the intent that now under the principality and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Boy, what wisdom that God had to use two-time dead Gentiles for His honor and for His glory. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access and with confidence by the faith of Him. That's tremendous. You and I now enjoy access. We didn't enjoy that before. We do now. And we have boldness. We have confidence. Why? Because this is the things pertaining to God. Now, go back to 15, 16. Time's up, but let's get to the end of this verse. Being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That's a wonderful thing there. Offered up. The offering up of the Gentiles. The, the, the Jewish terminology from Paul's upbringing. What did the Jews do with their sacrifice? They offered it up, but what did they first do with it? They washed it. They butchered it. They get it all done there. There's a washing there. Who washes you and I, Titus 3, 5? By the washing of the Holy Spirit. See? Okay? So there's. don't miss that. As we go in this here, uh, wonderful. And again, verse 17, all of it, all of this is what God is doing through Paul. The things pertaining to God. And we'll have to pick up because I want to run you through Acts and watch Peter say, I did what I did with Cornelius because it's what God wanted done. Paul, I'm doing what I'm doing because it's what God's doing. Never what I wanted to do, never just to cause controversy but this is what God's doing. So we'll pick up in 17, catch that next time, and then go on down, okay? Just catch the uniqueness here. This is tremendous because the attack's coming. And when it comes, you've got to have the fortification and the ammo, the armor, and the ability to defend it, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for all that we have in your Son. 
We thank you for the change in the program, for the dispensation of grace, the extension of your grace, that we were included in that, and we're, we're thankful for that. And as we study out, look at all this, we just have a, have a tremendous meaning to our, to our lives. In your name we pray, amen.